Water. I'm so thankful that you're here today. If I haven't met you, please find me after the service. I'd love to talk with you, or Tony, one of our other pastors, love to talk with you. Find One, find out just how you ended up here, and two, if you have any questions. I always say to people, you're not supposed to have questions, but if you do, we want this to be a church that's ap- it's safe to ask absolutely any question you have about our church, about Jesus, about really anything else. We want this to be a church where we just never pretend, ever. Um, so anyway, so thankful that everybody's here today. We kind of have a treat. Uh, if you've been with us, you know we've been walking through a series called Disciple, and really what it's about, what it means to be disciples of Christ, what it means to have our identity found in Jesus Christ, and once we found our identity where we're supposed to find it in Jesus Christ, what, what does it look like then to go make more disciples, and as the Great Commission says, teach them to obey and to understand that Christ is always with them through everything. And so we've been walking through that series, and as we were preparing for this, Russ and I actually talked a lot about it, and... Um, I thought, man, Russ, would you mind, I asked him, would you mind sharing? Because this is what Russ does. Like, he's a member of our church first and foremost. We love him. He's a part of our family. But Russ, even in his ministry, Elevate Lives, if you've ever heard of it, what he does is discipleship and show people what a disciple of Christ is and then disciple them to be more like Jesus Christ. Ultimately, that's, you could sum up his whole ministry just in that. There's a lot more involved. And so today, what I asked Russ to do is not really share just about Elevate, which is what he does a lot, which just, just about, Elevate's amazing, and it's really in line with everything that we do, but to really share a little bit more about um, his role in that and what it's looked like and his passion and his heart, and Elevate Lives is a part of that, right? Like, Elevate Lives is more of a outpouring of the fruit of the Spirit within Russ, and so since it fits so well in the, the sermon series, before we get into the Word today, I asked him to come up and share. So, Russ, why don't you come up here, and uh, we'd love to hear from you today. Hi, everyone. How you doing? Good. Yeah, like JT said, Elevate Lives is um, a ministry that I founded and I'm the president of, and many would end up saying that there's a program associated with Elevate Lives that takes the one in a thousand in poverty that's serious about changing their lives, and there's a process through this program to really see lives changed. But really at the heart of that is discipleship. Because there's a thousand voices out there in the world that ends up saying, come this way. This is the way to life. This is abundant life. Our society says um, that things like wealth and prestige and power are the important things. But Jesus is the one that's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And that's salvation, but that's ongoing as well. There's no way of restoration apart from God. And so Elevate Lives is about discipleship really at the core of helping people really find their identity in Christ of who they really were created. And then uh, it's this process, as uh, JT mentioned, uh, a, a term that I use is restoring the real you. And so, um, but today I want to talk a little bit about uh, something that's dear to my heart and the reason why, um, in essence, I created Elevate Lives with God, or honestly, God ended up putting it on my heart, and then I followed him in that process, and so other people's lives are changing. Um, you can't, for me, I can't really talk about discipleship unless I take a minute and talk about what God, how amazing his creation is in human beings. And before I do that, every, I, I just need to put the disclaimer out that all of us probably could use more work of God in humbling ourselves in not being prideful or arrogant, I don't think any of us has arrived, right? I haven't. And, but with that being said, it doesn't mean that there isn't significant things that the Bible talks about of how God created us so uniquely and with such a significant place in his kingdom. We see in the garden, quite frankly, when God created Adam and Eve, he created within them not just the potential, but the, the power and authority and the gifting to manage an entire planet. 
in all the different dynamics of people, families, uh, ultimately government at any point, uh, the building of buildings, all of the things that we have seen since the fall uh, were all intended to be done in a godly way without any sin in this world. But as you know it, sin did enter. Human beings thought um, they had a better way and chose to disobey God and as a result, we as human beings fell, we don't realize how far we've fallen. There's this glimmer inside of us, it's like looking through a glass dimly, of this significance of what God really created us. In the heart of God, he loves us so much, he sees all of what he created, he sees what the enemy has done in twisting us, distorting us, instead of standing upright as human beings, we're bent over, broken. And it's not just in actions, it's from the inside out. But see, salvation is this plan of God that by Christ dying on the cross and being resurrected and us putting our faith in him, in essence, asking for forgiveness for our own sins, but then also saying, you're the Lord of my life. It does an amazing thing. It positionally places us in perfect relationship with God. There's nothing else, nothing we can do that will change that positionally. It's, it's absolutely perfect. But experientially, there, it begins a process from that moment of salvation. Experientially, God is on a, on a mission to change us in the way in which we function practically and who we are practically. That's discipleship, is that process. Some would say that it's a process that we need to grab a hold of and we need to read books and we need to do this and that. And knowledge is a part of discipleship, but it's not just knowledge. It's actually this journey that God invites us onto a pathway. It's an ancient pathway of him saying, come walk with me. He said it to Peter, come, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He said it to the rich young ruler, go and sell all your possessions, give them to the poor and follow me. So Jesus paid the price and God is ultimately engaged in this discipleship process with us. Scripture says it's primarily that work of the Holy Spirit of transforming us. For me, years ago I got saved, and quite frankly, I think the driving force was I didn't want to go to hell. There was that moment when a friend of mine was sharing the gospel with me, and it was very, very real about the fact of eternity, and I had a choice to make. And so that night, late in the night, I ended up accepting Christ, as I mentioned before, and, and everything's been different before, uh, since then, and, and um, I was all in from the beginning of that. But years went by where God was at work in my life in this discipleship process, and I kept bumping up against things where, God, I want you to do this. I want you to work in my marriage. I want you to help me with raising my kids. I want you to give me health, or I, I need finances. And so there's these various topics I had, and it was as though on a sheet of paper, 
I would write those things down, okay? And those were the things that I wanted God to work in my life. And of course, it was in the Bible. And so, God, these are the things. But what I found out was is that there was things that God wanted to do. And he would end up, at, at one point, I felt like God was saying to me is, is that, Russ, you're wanting on some of the subjects to get a second opinion. You know, you want, you know I want you to deal with this in honesty or integrity or this in finances or whatever. And I'd go, God, that's just a small thing. Let's deal with this. You know what I mean? And God, I felt like he ended up saying, you want to get a second opinion on these things as though you're in charge. And I realized that we're really not in charge, but we think we are because of free will. Free will is, is really free will in this stuff. And so as a result of me feeling like I have choices to make, I felt like I was in charge to be able to determine what those things were that were going to be on the agenda. But see, God's the only one that truly knows the real each of us and what he intended from the beginning of time even before time, when he saw each of us, he said, this is what I have for you. This is who I created you to be. This is what I have for you. And so it takes God being the one who is directing what really is this process. And so, um, because I both been in ministry and business for all these years, um, owning companies, pastoring a church, pioneering another church, parachurch types of ministries, various companies. I think in terms of both ministry but also in business, and I felt like at one point, and this is really what I'm driving home to, is that God was saying, Listen, you need to decide who you really want to follow. Is it yourself or your own ways or you plus me? Or am I really going to be the Lord of your life? And so... Um, he basically, in, in that, you know how contracts are? They spell out various things that someone else will do or another company will do and certain things that you're responsible for. And then if you agree to those things, then you sign your name, right, to it, and the other person does. I felt like God asked me to take out a sheet of paper that was blank and sign my name to it. And I said, God, that's like Crazyville. Because in the real world, if I sign my name to a blank sheet, that means whoever I handed it to, they could fill out all the things. Right? So it challenged me, as you can imagine. And I had to end up coming to the conclusion that God really is in charge. And he really is the one that knows how he created me. He's the one that lovingly wants to restore me. And I can trust him. So this is an example of a piece of paper about 15 years ago that I signed. And then just recently as the beginning of this year. Because ultimately, discipleship is a process by which God, there is knowledge involved, us knowing things, but it, 
it's not knowledge alone. It's, it's obedience on our part, but it's not just obedience as well. It is a divine process by which God, who is in the, not just the driver's seat, but comes alongside of us and walks with us and says, this is the way to life abundant that Jesus paid for. Remember Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. That's the process by which the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. I, I call it the written and living word of God. There's this, the Bible, we study that, we learn from that. But there's this living God who is also interacting with us. And we can resist. We can say, no, I'm not interested in that. We can end up saying, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I just need your help on this or this. Or we can, as what Jesus ultimately with those around him, and even the rich young ruler, who he challenged to surrender it all and come follow him, and in that process, he would teach us, but not just teach us, he would transform us. Because in this discipleship process, this changing, restoring of the real you, we can't do it alone. It has to be by God. It's a divine thing. We don't have enough strength, even if we know all the stuff. And so it's this, like, three-braided cord that the Bible talks about. It's this interaction with God. And so out of that and seeing what God has done in my life and the value of every human being, I follow God into establishing Elevate Lives. Because every individual is so valuable to God and he wants this amazing relationship. Not as beaten down individuals, but ones who are sons and daughters of the Most High God who walk in authority with him, but humility as well. And so this, this whole thing that the Bible talks about discipleship is this process of God's outpouring of his love to restore, renew, transform, and walk with us in this amazing process. And throughout eternity, I believe, we'll look up at what God has done and the greatest things that we'll see his glory in is what he has done in his people who have yielded to him. For in that we'll see the tremendous forgiveness, the tremendous love, the tremendous mercy, the tremendous justice, the tremendous right, rightening of lives. The fact that God didn't just from a distance reach out and, and try and fix us, but rather came alongside of us and walks with us each day. And it doesn't matter if you or I or an individual that had it somewhat together or it's the person that's in the worst condition on the planet. There is no one too far gone that God can't transform. And so we purposely pick to work with those in, amongst the poor that have, I think every one of our folks either are have some kind of background of either felons or this or that kind of thing. But the one thing that's common to all of them is they have tried that other way and found that it didn't work. And so they're at a point that they're ready to, to follow God. Not, not their way plus God, but that didn't work, it's God only. And for those in our group 
in our ministry that are sold out like that are the ones that we are seeing the miraculous work of God in transforming them from the inside out. And so I invite you along with me, maybe you need to think through, do you have your agenda? Do you have your list? I don't think God necessarily says that list is wrong. Maybe there's some items on there that aren't correct. But ultimately, we need to decide who really is our master. And are we really just needing a little bit of extra help, or are we really the student that needs to learn? The child. The child of God that needs to learn, that needs the work of the Holy Spirit to transform us. I'm convinced that you and I can be as close to God as we want. It's not left to pastors or evangelists to be the ones that are the closest, and we have to be way over here. It's really dependent upon our heart in choosing to be open to God or to be resistant and say, nope, not there, not there. Oh, we're here, okay. So I brought some extra paper, and I'll have it back over here by the door, and if you want to, when you go to leave today, you want to grab your sheet and pray about that and maybe sign your name and then put it somewhere in your house as a reminder that it's all about his agenda. It's all about his transformation. It's all about him restoring the real you because he loves you so much. Can I pray for us as a church? Father, I thank you so much for this body of believers. Thank you for our leadership team. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in, in this church of restoration and wholeness and healing, salvation, and yes, discipleship. Lord, would you do such a significant work in us of truly bringing us to this core of walking with you on the path that you have for us collectively and individually. We just want to say yes to you. Do your amazing work. Teach us. Give us a heart to obey and say yes to you. But most of all, in that process, will you divinely do the miraculous work that only you can do in changing us? And then help us to do that with others. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Russ. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Uh, for those of you who are new, my name is Tony Percy. I am one of the fellow elders here at Freshwater. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to serve on that team alongside JT and, and our leadership team. Um, also, as we begin, I, I just wanted to kind of recap where we've been at as a church. So initially, we started, we've been typically, sorry, typically we go through the book of or go through a book exegetically, just very methodically, and, and work through scripture and, and dive in together as a church to just discover the truth that God has for us. Um, and as we've been doing that, we also have, as an as a elder team, just been encouraged um, to, as we've been moving into back into Williams and engaging back in Tom Watkins, to just really recast our vision um, that, that we're pursuing as a church. And that vision is encapsulated 
in being a disciple of Christ. And so as we've just been you know, going through scripture and then we took this, this small break to do a, a, a series here on discipleship. And so um, a few weeks ago, JT, he went through uh, really just defining for us in scripture what we see a disciple of Christ being defined as. Um, and we'll go over that in a moment. Um, but then he went to more like the, the 10,000 foot view of what it looks like to disciple the many, how, how Christ would preach towards the, to the crowds, how uh, pastors and preachers shepherd their flock, they disciple their flock, right? And then last week we went into discipling like the 12, right? The, the small groups, our life groups, how we engage in that and, and just the importance of that to engage in unity and, and life together. And this week what we're gonna be going on is the discipleship of the few, the, the one to the three, right? The very intentional, deep relationships that we get to engage with in the body of Christ. So, uh, Eric, if you want to go ahead and put up Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, church, that's the Great Commission, but that's what we're basing our lives out of. That's what we're basing this series out of, and that's, that's what we're basing today out of. So before we begin, if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes and just bowing with me for a quick word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you just thanking you so much for this morning. I, I thank you, Lord, for your body. I thank you for your son. I thank you that we can be united in our, our worship and our praise of you, um, that we can meet together freely and, and just discover the truth that you have. Lord, uh, I pray that even though I feel a little discombobulated this morning, that you would um, just use me as a vessel, Lord, to, to speak the truth that's found in your word. And I, I pray that all of us in this room, that you would just uh, just prepare our hearts, that, that they would be hearts that are listening, and Lord, that we would have ears to hear. Um, and that from today, we would be encouraged and exhorted uh, to walk and abide with you. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we trust you in your name. Amen. All right, so we just went over the Great Commission. Just FYI, I've got some scriptures that I'll be going through. Eric's going to be putting them up, but I got, sadly, one of the most words I've written in my sermon. So we're going to be clipping along today. So just try to stay with me. Again, I'll put the references up there so that it's a little easier to follow along. You don't have to sit there and try to flip. Um, but either way, so next we're going to be going into Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29. Okay. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is what it looks like to disciple. But what's the goal of discipleship? Go ahead and put the vision up. As fresh water... As a church, as a body of believers, this is what we are striving towards. This is our goal, that for men and women, women, sorry about that, uh, in, to be in personal, multi-generational discipleship relationships that empower obedience, growth, holiness, and a deep abiding relationship with Christ. This is our vision and our goal that we are striving for as a church. From Sunday morning to our life groups, to our one-on-one -on -one relationships, okay? Now that sounds great, but what's our mission? And our mission is defined as like, how, how are we going to achieve that goal, that vision? So here's our mission, to provide a pathway for our members to engage in multi-generational discipleship relationships that encourage, uh, that encourage I uh, have a typo here, uh, to train others to live out this vision. 
Sorry about that. Okay, so that, that is our, our mission of how we're going to get there, that, that we're, as a church, going to be studying Scripture and looking for principles and, and, and direction on how to achieve the goal and the mission of fresh water. And then J, JT and I, as we studied, we looked up, okay, now this is great. Discipleship is a church term. You actually don't see discipleship in scripture. What you do see is disciple. So then we went and we defined what is a disciple of Christ? A disciple, go ahead and put up, you got it, okay. A follower of Christ that by faith has been united with Christ and through an ever-deepening relationship with, God's, uh, with God is growing to be more like Christ. Now church, this is walking in understanding of who you are in Christ. This, this is talking about the identity of who we are as believers, okay? And, and without understanding this root, this root truth, on an individual level, on a personal level, it makes it difficult to then go out and disciple others. If you're not basing everything off of your identity of who you are in Christ and what Christ has done on your behalf and who Christ is, right? If you're not basing your life off of these facts, we're starting off on the wrong foundation. Christ is our cornerstone. Therefore, being a disciple of Christ means to have everything started on him, that he is our foundation, our basis for all of this. So, again, I'm going to read the Great Commission now that we've kind of walked through uh, those, those aspects, right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Church, I can't say it any better than that, but I tried, okay? So this is how my brain works. This is how my processing works. And so I did a Tony paraphrase version. That, that's my daughter. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, I did a paraphrase version of the Great Commission, Discipleship is proclaiming Christ while pursuing wisdom to be presented mature in Christ, persevering with his power at work within us. I'll read that again. Discipleship is proclaiming Christ while pursuing wisdom to be presented mature in Christ, persevering with the power of him in us. I had... I've read the Great Commission. Again, that's what we're basing this out of. But then I read Colossians 1, 28 and 29. And we're actually going to dive into that scripture to pull out what I've come up with, six principles of what discipleship is. Okay? So, when we read in Colossians, first three words, him we proclaim. What is the heart of discipleship? The heart of discipleship is proclaiming Christ. First and foremost, discipleship is about proclaiming him. To make much of his name, proclaiming his goodness, proclaiming his good news. That Jesus Christ came, came from heaven, lived a perfect life, a sinless life that he fulfilled the old covenant, the law. He lived it perfectly, and then he died being a perfect sacrifice for us. And in that sacrifice, for those who believe in him by faith are now set free from the bondage of the old covenant, of condemnation, of sin, of death. 
And then he raised again a new life, church. It doesn't just stop with his death, but then he raised again a new life. And in his resurrection, he now conquered the power of sin and death. And we can now walk in that truth, in that freedom, and in that hope that God has given us life. This is the heart of discipleship, that when we interact with one another, whether it be in our church, whether it be with our children, whether it be with people outside these doors, that our lives proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That we, that we in our, our interactions, our conversations, are just driven by sharing this hope, this life. That is the heart of discipleship. That is the foundation that it is all about the person of Jesus Christ, about what he's, who he is, about what he's done, and about who we are in him. Let's go back to Colossians. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So what is the means of discipleship? How does this practically work out? Teaching and warning with wisdom. Paul just made it really easy for me. Said it right there. That's the means of discipleship. There's much instruction about what it looks like uh, to be a disciple of Christ or how a disciple is to walk out his life. Right? We've got you know, the fruits of the Spirit, uh, every Pauline epistle in some chapter, you know, Galatians 5, Ephesians 5 and 6, Philippians 3, Colossians 3, okay? But here in this passage of Colossians 1 and Matthew, Scripture gives us a couple basic guidelines. Teaching and instructing with all wisdom. It may seem obvious that we have to teach and train, but... What are we to teach and train, right? We're supposed to teach and train people how to engage in God's word so that the Holy Spirit can work in their lives, so that he can continue to sanctify us on our, our journey to be more like Christ. It's not about the good things that Tony has to say. It's not about the good things JT has to say or Russ or TJ or Sarah. It's not, it's not about that. What it is about is... Sorry, brain fart, guys. Uh, yeah, two twins kind of kept me up all night, so my brain is slightly mushy. But anyways, um, in that warning, in that teaching, for those who are discipling or those who are being discipled, the goal is to always be pointed back to Scripture, which is God's Word. Because in God's Word, it points us back to Jesus Christ, to our Savior, Right? So the teaching and the warning with wisdom, it's important for us as we engage, as we're looking for people to disciple us or looking to disciple people, that everything that we base our life around and in, in our interactions is with intention to study God's word so that we can grow in our knowledge and understanding, so that we can apply it to our lives or have the Holy Spirit bring it to mind when we're having those tough days or those failures. And then we see that we also must warn, right? Nobody really likes warning each other. It's uncomfortable, let's be honest. But it says that we must also warn in love and in grace. But also truth, right? How many times has it been said in the past few weeks that they will know us by how we love each other? Guess what? When I warn Hudson that the wasp will sting him if he catches it. It's not because I'm trying to be a dad that says, no, you, you're not allowed to catch bugs. It's because I'm trying to be a dad that's saying, I love you and I don't want you to get stung. You're going to hate it. So as we engage with one another, even when we're calling people out in sin, it needs to be out of love that I'm doing this, I'm calling you out, I'm having this conversation as uncomfortable as it is for the purpose of you growing in your knowledge and your understanding, in, in your submission and dependence on the person of Jesus Christ. Let's study his word. Let's engage in it together. 
I'm not doing this because I'm judging you. I'm not doing this because I think I'm better than you. I'm doing this because I want the best for you. Because Christ wants the best for you. Right? We see in 2 Timothy 3.10, Paul is writing a letter to Timothy, right? Uh, a man he's discipling. And he says, and uh, I don't have this up there, but it's 2 Timothy 3.10, it says, but you know what I teach, Timothy, and how I live, and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith and how long I have suffered. You know my love and my patient endurance. Do you know how much persecution and suffering I have endured? You know all about how I was persecuted in, and then he continues on and, and lists where he's been persecuted. But in this passage, we see a, a couple quick little things, little nuggets of truth about discipleship. He says, we see Paul say, but you know what I teach. Okay, so teaching is not discipleship, but discipleship always involves teaching, right? It doesn't mean that I sit down, put somebody in front of me, and then tell them all of Tony's good thoughts, what it does mean is that as I'm doing life together with somebody and I see them going through something, just like men have done in my life, going, no, Tony, when you interact with your wife, I understand how you feel, but I need you to look at it from this perspective. Remember, honor your wife. Love her like Christ. I know, I know you're, you're struggling right now, but trust me, don't act in your emotion. This is what scripture, this is how scripture tells us to act. Now, I've done it both ways. <laughs> JT can attest to that because he's discipled me through it. There's been times where I just was like, no, I made a mistake. I did this bad. Now, how, how do I go back to scripture and, and love her well in this, right? Okay, so moving on. We see him, you know, it, you know what I teach, Timothy, and how I live. So discipleship is not only what we're being taught in the relationship, but it's also living out by example, right? Timothy, you know what I teach, but you also know how I live. My life is an example. It's not just, I'm not just saying things and expecting you to do them without being willing, essentially, to do them myself. You know the truth I'm saying, you know what I teach, but you also see how I live, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know that. So as we engage in discipleship relationships, look for the people that you go, that guy knows Jesus, or that woman knows Jesus. I want them to invest in me, or I want to invest in someone, right? To point them towards the person of Jesus Christ. So we see that, and then continuing on real quick, we see, uh, uh, and you know what my purpose in life is. So you, but you know what I teach, Timothy, and how I live, and what my purpose in life is. So discipleship is not only what I teach and what I live, but it's also what gives me purpose on how I live. We see Paul as a great example to Timothy. I'm driven by my love for Jesus Christ and spreading his gospel. And this is what I teach and this is how I live. And Timothy goes, yep, I want to follow you. And then the last is you know. He says it multiple times in this, this verse, which indicates what, church? It indicates that they do life together. Because guess what? I can... I mean, there's a few of you in here I don't know very well, right? So for, for me to be like, oh yeah, well, you know what I teach and what I, you know, what I teach and how I live, well, that, that's not necessarily true if I'm not doing life intentionally together, if we're not walking in unity with one another. Now, that being said, it's a little impractical to be best buddies and super deep and intimate with 60, 70 people, right? That doesn't happen. But it is something that we can pursue. That as a, as a church body, we have transparency with one another. Okay, I, I work, I actually work for Russ. 
um, in the, the home remodel renovation. We restore the homes for the people to get in, right? So I'm a contractor. It's how my mind thinks. Transparency is like a window. It allows people to see in, right? But unless you're breaking in, how many people enter through their window, right? So that, that's kind of the first part of a relationship. I can be transparent. doesn't necessarily mean I want your investment, okay? Then there's vulnerability. Vulnerability is like the door. I'm welcoming you in. I got, I got a lot going on, struggling. This, this is what the mess looks like. I didn't do any cleaning like we do, you know, with two twins and, you know, four under four. We have a lot of cleaning every time we invite somebody over. Vulnerability is just saying, come on in. This is, this is what my real life looks like. Then you have accountability. <laughs> accountability is when you're like, hey, this is the chaos of my life. And someone that is discipling you says, you need to clean that up. <laughs> And then you have discipleship, church. When you say, you've looked in, you've seen my life, the chaos of it, and it's not good. And instead of them coming in saying, you need to clean that up, they say, let's clean this up together. But let's do this together. Now, church, that sounds really good on paper. I'm going to tell you what, from experience, really difficult to do. Because I've got pride, I've got my image, I've got all the things I want people to think about me. In a positive way, right? And that's why in our discipleship relationships, confession is a huge part. I would say it's implemental to have a healthy discipleship relationship. Now, when I say confession, sounds like a scary word, right? You mean you want me to tell all the deepest, darkest secrets and the most sins I've ever committed and all of the things? Well, yes, partially. But confession is also about confessing that Jesus is Lord, confessing his good news to one another. We confess our sins to one another for the very purpose of living transparently, to be blameless, to seek reconciliation, to, to rest on independence on the cross, on, on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's very important. We, we confess the goodness of God, the glory of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, because that encourages us Confession, church, we need to withdraw from our mentality that confession is about walking in our shame and our guilt or even judgment and condemnation. That's not your job. Your job is when you hear that confession as a brother and sister in Christ to link arms and point them back towards Jesus Christ or have someone point you towards back or back towards Jesus Christ. That's what confession is about. It's, it's still about the person of Jesus Christ. Confession is recognizing that you are in desperate need of a savior. That you are incapable of walking in righteousness and holiness. And not only do you need a perfect savior, but you also need help being reminded of how good he is. It's recognizing that you need to link arms with the body of Jesus Christ, that we are all in this together, all sinners looking at the head of Jesus Christ in our body, that he is what binds us together, that he is what unifies us, that he is what has redeemed us and reconciled us. That, that's what it's about. It's about walking in unity and truth in freedom and in hope. I know confession is scary. It's not fun to say you failed. It's not fun to admit that you need help or that you're a sinner. 
But church, isn't that kind of the point? That Christ came because I'm incapable? He sacrificed himself, lived a perfect life, and sacrificed himself for me to live in the new hope and the new life in the gospel. So confession shouldn't be about how bad we are. It should be about how good Christ is. And that in my admission of my failures and my shortcomings, in my areas that I recognize I need growth, that we encourage, yes, exhortation is needed, (laughs) right? But that it's out of love. The exhortation is to encourage us to rely and depend on the person of Jesus Christ because he is the only one who is able Let's continue on. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So what is the goal of discipleship? The goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. Not have a bunch of people that are like, look at all the new believers that I brought to Jesus. Yeah, they still function like sinners, but they know who Jesus is. No. It's about teaching them to, instead of drinking the spiritual milk, eating the meat. Just like for those of you who have children in the room, there is a time where I will change my kids' diapers. There is a time where I won't. If Hudson is 15 and in diapers, I'm going to have an issue. One, it means I let him down as a father. Two, it means he needs to start acting like a full-grown man, like heavens above, right? And that's what, that's what discipleship is. Yes, there is a time that you're allowed to be an infant. There's a time where you're allowed to act like an infant. But my goal is to do life with you, to walk with you, to warn you, to teach you, to encourage you, so that one day... You can be mature in Christ, that you can rest in your identity and who you are in him. You can have trust and hope because of who he is, and you can depend on him because of what he's done on your behalf, that he is a faithful God. And then guess what? You get to go tell other people about that glorious, beautiful news. The goal of discipleship is to present everyone mature in Christ. Not keep spoon-feeding them. And that takes intention, that takes confession, that takes sacrifice. Brings us to the next part of the verse. Paul says, for this I toil and struggle. Church, discipleship is a beautiful thing. Being a disciple of Christ is a beautiful thing. But it's hard. You know how many times I've bailed on something because I didn't feel adequate? You know how many times I've, even just with my own son, been like, come on, buddy, you can do this. And then he makes the like, complete opposite decision. And it is just, like, as a father, it's devastating. It's like, bud, why? Why would you do that? doesn't change anything. I'm still in this with you, but there's consequences for that. But because I love you, we're doing this together. It's disheartening at times. It's struggle. There's toil and there's struggle. It takes perseverance. It, it takes all of those things. There's been times I know I, I can attest that people have felt this way about me and I felt this way about others where it's like, man, I wish they would just invest. Just make the decision to pursue Christ. Like, why is it that hard? I mean, I remember my dad at one point when I was walking in sin, he said, Tony, I love you, but I hate the man you're choosing to be. Like, is that not toil and struggle? Like, Tony, make a good decision. Stop. I know my wife, as we've been going through stuff, it's like, Tony, just make the right choice. You're putting you ahead of everything. Instead of Christ, you're losing focus. Like, come on. 
It takes toil and struggle. It takes perseverance. And I know, I know church, it, it, it sounds like a big downer, but you should feel encouraged that even in your discipleship relationships or if you're not pursuing them, that you should feel exhorted to go get in, engaged in them. Guess what? You're capable. You should engage in them. And yes, there's going to be times of failure and yes, there's going to be times of shortcoming. But check this out. What does he say at the end of Colossians? Sorry, I did not do well on putting that on each point, okay? For this I toil and struggle, but what is it with? What does Paul say it's with? He says, with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Church, toil and struggle, failures, shortcomings, all of the things the most beautiful part is that the power of discipleship is not how much I can do. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it best. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Church. <laughs> and all of this, the best part is that it's His power. He is our source. He is the vine, and we are the branches. He is the bread of life, the living water. He is Jehovah Jireh, <laughs> the provider. And how has He provided? Guess what? He gave us his Holy Spirit, Christ in us. That's why I say you're all adequate to disciple. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, that means Jesus Christ lives in you and he is changing you into the image of his son. And as you grow in your knowledge and understanding of who Christ is, what he's done on your behalf and who you are in him, your identity in him, he continues to reveal himself to you through his word. And in that revelation, as you grow in that knowledge and understanding, you live more like Christ. And as you live more like Christ, you should be revealing that to other people. Because again, it's not about us. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. Discipleship, church, is about proclaiming Christ while pursuing wisdom, meaning growing in knowledge and understanding, to be presented mature in Christ, persevering with his power, the Holy Spirit, in us. Lastly, church, let's uh, go back to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Church, the last aspect of discipleship is that it's a command. This is not the great suggestion. <laughs> this is the great commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Church, stop treating it like it's something that we can do when we feel like it or when we have time in our schedule. And I'm saying this just as much to myself as the rest of you. Our savior, our sustainer, our provider, our redeemer, our king, has commanded us to go spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, yes, disciple within these doors, 
continue to link arms with one another, pointing them to, toward the person of Jesus Christ. Because that's what we're commanded to do. But church, as you engage with people at work, as you engage with your children, as you engage with people that you meet at the store, the purpose is to go you therefore and make disciples. To bring them into the body of Jesus Christ. Now again, not because of how good you are or how well you say it, but because of the Holy Spirit, right? He's the one who saves. We're just the messengers. But we better be faithful, right? Because that's what we're being commanded to do. That's how we walk obediently with Jesus Christ. So to recap the points, the heart of discipleship is proclaiming Christ. The means of discipleship is teaching and warning with wisdom. The goal of discipleship is to present everyone mature in Christ. The cost of discipleship is toil and struggle. The power of discipleship is his Holy Spirit within us. And lastly and most importantly, discipleship is a command. So, so whether it's on Sunday mornings, whether it's in your life groups, or whether it's in the one-on-one, Church, this is, this is what we're striving towards. That we are engaged intentionally with one another. That we are vulnerable, transparent, accountable, and engaged in discipleship relationships. Now, church, again, like I said before, we went from the 10,000 now down to the few, right? I understand we can't have this type of relationship with everybody, but we must pursue it with at least a few. Have people invest in you and invest in others. I've got three men that specifically invest in me. In church, without them, I would not be the man I am today. I've also invested in other people, and sometimes it's gone great. Sometimes I've learned a lot from my shortcomings. Sometimes it was just a one-off meet, but it really impacted that person's life. So let's engage. Let's be intentional with our relationships with another, with one another. In your life groups, be intentional to confess. Be intentional <laughs> to be vulnerable. And most of all, be intentional as you link arms with one another to point them towards God's word and the person of Jesus Christ. Because again, that's our foundation. That is the reason I get to receive grace today so that I can continue to glorify his name and advance his gospel. I'm not here to make sure that our fridge gets working again. I'm not here to make sure that I can be Tori's handyman. I'm here to glorify the name of Jesus Christ and advance his gospel. So church, I hope you feel exhorted and I also hope that you feel super encouraged. Because again, it's not about how good you are. This is a hospital for saints. Positionally, I'm completed. I've got a long way to go in my journey to be more like Jesus Christ. But I know that I can be unified in this body and slowly as I grow and build more relationships with people and more intentional relationships, I can be open with where I'm at, but I can also point people towards Jesus Christ. And I get to do this together with you. In unity, pursuing the glory of his name and the advancement of his gospel. Church, I know I just like took a shotgun shell and just blasted everybody with a lot of information. So I hope that, that it has landed on your ears, but also into your heart. I pray that this morning uh, we, we can walk in, in the truth of who we are in Jesus Christ. And I'd actually like to close... Uh, not the Colossians one. No, no, let's do that. Colossians three twelve through 17. 
is that one up there? I might have not sent that to you. Sorry, never mind. I'm just going to read this. If you'd like to turn, it's Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. That's one of many areas in scripture where it instructs us on what it looks like to live in, in the body. In church, guess what? It applies from being here on Sunday morning to being in our life groups to the one-on-one -on -one discipleship or the one-on-three. That we walk humbly, that we walk meekly, that we walk kindly and gently, that we exhort one another, that we encourage one another, and that we do it with a heart of thankfulness. That we sing praises that we pray and again do it with thankfulness it's mentioned multiple times prayer is a recognition of God's authority thankfulness is a recognition of God's character church engage with one another love one another well pursue Christ in the advancement of his gospel if you would just go ahead and I'm going to close this out in prayer. So worship band, you can come on up. Um, yeah. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Uh, so thankful that <laughs> you've created it so that it doesn't depend on us for your gospel to continue meaning we're not the ones who make things happen. But Lord, you have used us as broken vessels to glorify your name and to advance your gospel. Lord, it's a great privilege. Lord, I thank you that sometimes life doesn't look like we want it to. That sometimes things are difficult because in those difficulties we learn to rely more on you. Lord, I thank you for this body of believers that we get to do life together. We get to celebrate together. We get to mourn together. We get to struggle together. Lord, I pray that uh, as we continue to study your word and engage with one another, Lord, that we would continue to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who you are and what you've done on our behalf. And I pray that we would continue to exhort and encourage one another and that we'd love each other well. Lord, I pray that we would walk obediently as a church and that you would utilize our lives to glorify your name and advance your gospel. I thank you for your son that he came and died and rose again and created a way for us to have new life. Lord, you are a good and awesome God. We love you. We thank you. And Lord, we trust in you. In your name.